right, welcome back to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Didn't know for sure we'd have a third one this week, but I think I hinted the other day that we may have a special one, and we do, because back again for the for the second time is none, none other than Jay Gruden, former head coach of the Washington, well, I guess it was the Washington Redskins, obviously you know who I'm talking about. Jay was here a month ago, was more of like sort of... Um, Catching up with him, you know, kind of how what how he's doing, um, you know, get some fun stories about his time with the team and in the league. This time, I was like, okay, look, I want to talk about free agency. It's, it's, I'm talking to you guys on Thursday night. Free agency starts on Monday. The legal tampering period. So I thought, well, let's. We, and we've talked about it a bunch this week already. Uh, had a conversation in the previous podcast with our friend Michael Phillips from the Rich and Times Dispatch, plus Joe Rexroad and Ben Baldwin, two of my colleagues with The Athletic, got into all different aspects of free agency, not to mention umpteen other podcasts. But what about talking to somebody who's been in the room, who is there on the, you know, leading into it, um, who, who knows the or, you know organizational mindsets, how things work. So I talked to Jay about uh, his time just not just Washington, but sort of broadly about what goes on in these moments, um, dealing with dealing with agents, dealing with everybody. This idea of legal tampering, or or, or you know, what, sort of the silliness that kind of goes on with it. And then we talked about certain players. He's obviously coached against, uh, scouted, all that stuff. So we talked about uh, a lot of people, uh, uh, all the ones you would probably imagine, including the quarterback positions. So. Fun conversation with Jay Gruden. I'm going to get to that here in just a moment on the Standard Groom Only podcast. Plus, talk about some of the news of the day. There's been some interesting things that have happened, and um, I'll explain why, but I'm going to give you my plan, projections, guesses, uh, whatever we want to say this, about what what I think might happen for Washington. These are more just my educated random guesses as opposed to necessarily reporting. But in any event, I think it should be a fun exercise. We'll get to that in just a second. If you want to hear, of course, any of these uh, previous podcasts, especially the one with Jay Gruden about a month ago, you can find everything on iTunes, uh, Spotify, anywhere you do your podcasting. Make sure you subscribe. And again, many, many thanks to everybody who's been really kind about um, writing a review or, or dropping a rating on iTunes. Um, it really means a lot. I promise you that. And of course, big ups to everybody who subscribes to The Athletic. Um uh, I wrote about um, what Ron Rivera, as I said the other day when I'm talking to Michael Phillips, I wrote about this week about what Ron Rivera said in his press conference and what I heard, plus uh, got into some of the Brandon Sheriff stuff earlier in the week. Um, I did not participate in what will be up on Friday morning. It was a sort of a 53-man projection. Uh, Rhiannon Walker ended up with that. I'll explain why I didn't do that in a second, but I'm going to effectively talk about my predictions here instead all right so um let me just say so there's news of the day of course some of which i put up on twitter and there were some other things that that happened as well um all right so i had like plans um i had some work plans today that got scuttled in part because of some house projects i was doing i've been trying to use the pandemic to organize my life a bit I've, i've had a couple of um 
anybody who knows me knows I'm not exactly the neatest person in the world. I wouldn't say I'm like a, a hoarder by any stretch of the imagination, but there's a lot of crap here that I just just exists. So I've been spending the pandemic throwing stuff out, and you know it's good to it's good to purge. Uh, and uh, also because of the pandemic, I really hadn't really had anybody sort of like. Uh, clean the house in like over a year. I mean, I've done what I could do, but you know, uh, again, let's just say that's not, you know, uh, not, not my strength. So I uh, had a cleaning service come in um, today and um, there's a cat that lives here, as, as I believe I've mentioned before, Lenny. Lenny is uh, great with me, other people less interested, we'll just say. So Lenny was hiding out under a bed today when the cleaning service showed up and I kind of figured he would just sort of stay there. I went about my business, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. Went in and out a couple of times, as did some, as did the, uh, the, the the people and the the nice ladies. And uh, when they were when they were about done, I'm starting to look for Lenny and I can't find him. Now cats cats hide. Not exactly a crazy notion, but I couldn't even like see him anywhere. And because I you know cleaned out a good amount of stuff, there's less places to hide. Anyway, they left. And I spent the next like two hours looking everywhere. You can probably tell by my tone, we end up with a bit of a happy story or happy ending, but um, it took a forever. Finally, he was, there was like a, a stack of like pictures and paintings sort of leaning up against the wall. And he somehow wedged himself behind there and he eventually stuck his head out. Um, at that moment when that happened, I think if we had had an EKG, I might have had to been uh, hospitalized because it was uh, super stressful, to say the least. Uh, the cat does not go outside. I, God bless the people who do that. I could not handle having my cat be outside and then you never know what's going to happen. And, and that would be that would be rough. So, um, uh, by the way, soon thereafter, Lenny took off in the house, didn't know where he went. And I was like... Uh, reorganizing things after the people left and I closed the closet door only to find out two hours later he had gone in there. So Lenny had a bad day. If you think you had a bad day, Lenny had a bad day. Um, in any event, <laughs> I didn't end up writing anything as I mentioned, but I was paying attention at least here and there to some of the news of the day. And I want to get to some of the news of the day, but while simultaneously being really stupid and making predictions <laughs> about Washington in the offseason. It's beyond insane, and please, I hope nobody takes anything I'm saying here as like, oh, you said, because if we have that game, you know, then we're kind of, you know, that's not fun. Now, of course, if I get everything right, or anything right, you're going to give me all the credit. That's how this works. I get the credit, but none of the blame. Cool? We're good with that? All right, cool. So, I want to get to some of the news of the day while doing my semi-predictions, guesses, having fun with you guys. And then we'll get to Jay Gruden and all that. So there's a lot, lot to get into. So let me just start. Um, let me start with this. And I want to use this Ron Rivera quote. I don't think we got into it with Michael Phillips on um, Wednesday's show. So here's Rivera. He He's talking about the salary cap space. Obviously, Washington has $53 million. Um, that's not That's at the moment not including the Brandon Scherf. $18 million franchise tag, which at this moment he hasn't signed. Just going to note that. Um, most of the guys haven't, only Taylor Moten from Carolina has, but I would have imagined Sheriff would have run up and signed it immediately. So, again, worth worth at least noting. In any event, um, he, Rivera's asked about the salary cap if he views it as like a one-time advantage, and he talks about, you know, you still got to sign your own guys and things like that. But he says, 
what you'd like to do through free agency is put yourself in position to fill specific needs. So now when you get to the draft, you don't have to take a specific position. That's what you'd like to see. That's what I'd like to see is put ourselves in that type of situation where you don't have to go out and fill that position that you need. So I think keep that in mind um, as we go through some of these, uh, as we go through this exercise here, uh, because again, I'm not necessarily saying these are, you know, I'm not claiming people have told me these things. I'm just saying, these are my thoughts trying to piece together kind of what I would do, but also what makes sense for this team and where we're at now after, uh, you know, kind of everything that's happened over the last few days, Alex Smith gone, Brandon Scherf being tagged um, and, Matt, uh, and, and and so on. So let's start with the quarterback. Um, with Kyle Allen getting tendered this week, you've got Kyle Allen, you've got Taylor Heineke. That's two guys. Again, I think it's obvious, but I don't know. That means you, unless you're going to willing to move on from he Allen or Heineke, which seems unlikely at this point, just you gave Heineke some guarantee. We know Rivera likes Allen. So there's room for one more quarterback. Um, I, I think they don't do anything immediately. This would be my assumption. I don't think they do anything immediately. I reported that they were looking at acquiring Mariota. If he gets sprung free in free agency and ultimately it works out where maybe they, they can get him, maybe that's, maybe that's the way to go because he does have some upside there for sure. Based on his past, there's also a lot of questions. Um, can he stay healthy? Things along those lines. But, um, you know, he might be the kind of guy where there's enough potential to push things um, forward. Again, I don't think Jameis Winston gets out. But somebody like Mariota, I think, could be interesting. That said, I think in general, I think it probably makes more sense for them to wait, right? Because the Jets aren't going to do anything with Sam Darnold, most likely, until close to the draft. And the Panthers, until they get another quarterback, everybody keeps saying that they're trying. And I've heard similar they're not going to do anything with Teddy Bridgewater. And the other day they came out and claimed that Teddy Bridgewater is their guy anyway. So um, it's possible, you know, you can wait closer to the draft for a quarterback or to get, see one of those guys spring, gets, gets uh, sprung free. And then in the, I, I say the worst case scenario, but not really, there's still the draft, right? Um, Washington uh, is going to be out this week uh, at Trey Lance's pro day workout. Martin Mayhew and Scott Turner will be there according to a report from Albert Breer. And, um, you know, we'll see. You could always, of course, if you wait, then if you could either trade up. And I I, I, I get this is going to be this big rush on quarterbacks, but I won't be surprised if one of them slips, if not to 19, you know, down towards the middle of the first round. Um, just, you know, sort of logic that, you know, somebody, at least one sort of falls out of favor with, 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 with teams and scouts, but we'll see what, we'll see what happens. And maybe, maybe I'm wrong on that. Obviously, you know, it, it feels like right now there's a big rush to get five of them inside the top 12, at least. Um, but anyway, so I kind of think to me, that kind of makes sense if they wait. So don't have to rush for in free agency, unless again, you kind of like someone specifically Rivera said that there are some people that they just did. They, they do will hope to target quickly. Maybe Mariota is one of them if he gets cut free by the Raiders sooner than later. But in general, I think if you wait, then that gives you a chance to see what happens with Bridgewater, what happens with Sam Darnold, and then there's still the draft. So that would be my guess on quarterback. I, I, I know I'm sort of hedging in my scenarios there. Again, what can I tell you? But I think it's, again, makes more sense, I think, to wait unless they think that Mariota is that broken toy that they can that they can fix. Um, all right, wide receiver. So let's just look at the roster really quick. You've got Terry McLaurin. You've got that they uh, are, are expected to tender Cam Sims. 
Uh, you've got Steven Sims. You've got Antonio Gandy-Golden. You've got Kelvin Harmon. You don't have Robert Robert Foster for now. I don't think that's a surprise, but I was I reported today that Washington is not picking up his tender. Not a surprise. They, they could bring him back um, probably probably for a minimum contract, I was told, and that's substantially less than what the tender would be, which would be about, I think about $2.3 million. So um, I think the, 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 the minimum is the, uh, under a million. So that makes sense. We'll see. Maybe he comes back, you know, speed, but obviously didn't do that much production-wise as a receiver. In any event, that's five guys that I just said. And obviously, we, as we know with Kelvin Harmon, injuries can happen, so you have to plan accordingly. Now, obviously, we have talked a ton about receivers they could possibly get. Kenny Galladay is the high-end guy out there. Juju Smith-Schuster, Curtis Samuel, Corey Davis, lots of other guys you could get. Here's where I'm at at this point. I'm really kind of intrigued by this by this approach. Tell, tell me what you think. Uh, at Ben Standing on Twitter, feel free to yell at me or leave a comment in the um, in the in, in iTunes or shoot me an email, bstandig at theathletic.com or send a you know get a get, get a uh, send a message you know through the Skywriter. <laughs> I don't know, whatever you want to do. All right. So here's my thought. To get one of these high-end receivers, the cost could be anywhere from 12 to $20 million, depending on what it, where, where, where the Galladay number goes, right? Um, it's a lot of money. You've heard me say this before. I don't know how much I really like spending at receiver, and I don't know if I want to spend more on a receiver than in two. Than I may have to give Terry McLaurin here at some point. And we, I talked about this with Jay Gruden. I, I won't step on what he said about this. Um, but that, for me, is is notable. But what about this? What if you spend money instead of a receiver on a tight end? According to SpotRack, Spotrack, I don't know how you say that, Hunter Henry, the Chargers tight end, they're projecting four years, $43.8 million. Uh, Titans tight end, Johnny Smith, talked about him the other day with Joe Rexroad. They're projecting five years, 40.4. So what if we go this? What if you could sign one of those guys? I would pick Henry over Smith, but I, I, I'm not really arguing that either way. It both would be interesting. Could you sign one of those at that? Let's just say that's the number. Then in the second round or a day two somewhere, draft a receiver. I don't have this hand, stat handy in front of me. Apologies. But I wrote about this at some point after the Marty Herney came on board that in many of Marty Herney's drafts, his Carolina teams drafted either a running back or a receiver in the first two rounds. Pretty, It was a pretty high percentage of the time that that happened, at least relative to the amount of, to the amount of to, to, to just a single position. So um, I think you could draft a tight end. Or sorry, sign one of these big tight ends, Hunter Henry or, or Johnny Smith. There's Gerald, Gerald Everett if you go a little bit later down the list, but he's not as dynamic as those guys. Take a receiver in round two. You got Rondell Moore from Purdue. He'd be your slot guy. Uh, you got uh, uh, Dwayne Eskridge from Central Michigan. Talked about him with Dane Brugler. He was a big hit down at the and Jim Nagy as well. He was a big hit, big hit um, at the Senior Bowl. I think that's a way that they could that they could go. You know, if they ultimately want uh, some bigger uh, receivers, you've got uh, Amon Ra, St. Brown from USC. I, I like Tim Nico Collins from Michigan. I think the, all these are guys that could be there in, in round two, day two. So I'm kind of intrigued by that approach. It gives you the tight end. You'd have now two tight ends with Logan Thomas, and maybe that seems like an overkill, and partly it could be, but at the same time, that's some pre you could do some really interesting things at that position 
for sure we saw and you know let's not forget jay gruden talked about this with me as well you know washington had jordan reed and vernon davis a couple years ago and that worked out pretty well so you could spend the money on tight end still take a receiver in round two thus ensuring that not only could you get some help but that player won't be earning more than mclaurin um anytime soon if you're going to pin me on a high-end receiver if they do end that route i think i think joe retro kind of talked me to Corey davis over curtis samuel um i like the idea of of, of a guy who's a, who's a playmaker but also a, a significant blocker down the field i like that and i and uh i don't know about the Corey. you know we want to pick pick all these carolina players to, to reunite with rivera and herney but i don't know i'm not sure if, i don't know what to think of the curtis samuel one i'll just sort of leave it at that um We'll leave it at that. So that's my thought there, receiver tight end. Instead of saying the receiver, go get this, go get this um other guy. By the way, they could draft the receiver in the first round. I'm not saying they couldn't, but uh, just food for thought. Um, offensive tackle. All right, here's my thought here. You've got Cornelius Lucas at left tackle. For the moment, we think Brandon Sheriff will be at right guard, at least for next season. Um, but Sheriff might be only there for one year and Cornelius Lucas, um, you know, he was totally solid last year, but I don't know if people view him as having the upside you really want as a weekly, weekly starter. So what about this? Here we go. Hear me out. Russell Okun signed last year with Carolina under Marty Herney. Now, he's missed a bunch of games last two years with injuries, so there's a bit of a risk. But at the same time, he's been a talented player in his career. Still got some game. And, you know, probably instead of last year getting $13 million, for one year, I'm thinking maybe you can get you can get it for half that, seven million. Sign him for one year. It's not a maybe he can start and give you something there, but it's not a massive impediment if Sadiq Charles uh, shows out more to be more tackle than guard. But you also need if Brandon Scherf is going to play on the tag, you need a long-term solution behind him, and I think Charles could kind of give you that option. So it's sort of like Sadiq Charles becomes a swingman that you could swing towards the left or to the right. It's not, or to tackle to the guard. It's not ideal to have a couple of guys on one-year contracts, but again, you'd still have Cornelius Lucas if uh, Russell Okung um, doesn't, you know, gets hurt or, um, you know, has lost his fastball. Um, I'll note that in Shil Kapadia's uh, top 150 ranking, he's got Russell Okung at 94 overall. So, you know, not, not not high, not not super not super high, but obviously you know if you're getting ranked, you're still somebody. So I kind of like that plan. And by the way, you know you could I'm going to say a lot of you can draft somebody on day two, but you know it's possible you could. Um, you know if you do this plan, could you still draft a Christian Darisaw at 19 from Virginia Tech? I think you probably could. It starts getting a little bit much though because you do have Lucas, you have Okumi, not him, but I think you could. Um, perhaps, you know, maybe, maybe uh, somebody could swing inside uh, at guard for, uh, for for a year if need be, if you wanted to, if you viewed somebody as an upgrade over Schweitzer. But I don't think it would be a massive issue. And if you drafted somebody on day two, um, you know, again, either a guard to possibly replace Sheriff, a tackle for the long term, and you have still have Deke Charles in there to sort of uh, go in either direction that, that you want possibly. So I think that's a way to go. So I'm putting me down for that. Linebacker. So big news today, Buffalo re-signed Matt Milano, who was considered to be, I think, the top inside linebacker in the draft. I, I had heard that he Buffalo was going to let him test free agency, and I think my understanding is that was their thought. But Milano decided he wanted to 
he wanted to stay. He wanted to hang out in Buffalo, I, I was told, uh, by a source familiar with the situation. And that um, from that, um, you know, he Buffalo got him for a little bit less. So he signed four years, $44 million, uh, according to Adam Schefter. He also got $24 million in guarantees. Um, interesting there is that that, that may be – I'm not sure that the market is much more than that. Um, you still have uh, uh, Jayon Brown out there from the Titans. Talked about him with Joe Rexroad as well. Um, so, you know, maybe this means for him – four for 48 if he's going somewhere else somewhere in that range perhaps Washington could do that but the way I look at it is this draft is looking really nice for a linebacker I really do think that that, that Ron Rivera wants to get one I think that's apparent if you look at mock drafts at 19 and then the, into the day two you've got uh, Jeremiah Owuso Karamoa from Notre Dame you've got Zayvon Collins from Tulsa you've got Nick Bolton from Missouri all those guys could go off the board in the first round. Day two, you've got a, a Pete Warner from Ohio State, really kind of like him, Chaz Surratt from North Carolina, Jabril Cox from LSU. There are a lot of options at that position. Obviously, I cannot, can't predict that all those guys would be at either 19 or in the second round, but you know, I think there's a decent chance you could wait and get one of these guys. Now, in the interim, I think you still need to sign. I, you could make the argument they still need two new linebackers, um, I, and if we're going to spend less, I... I've been mentioning him before. I like Nick Morrow uh, from the Raiders. He is, um, you know, a pretty, he's still a pretty young guy. I want to say he's 25 or maybe he turns 26 by the time we get to uh, to the season. You know, he's he's been a uh, productive player. He was with Jack Del Rio in 2017. Um, you know, made the, made the league from Greenville. I don't know. I'm not going to lie. I do not know much about Greenville. Um, but he played all 16 games last year. That, that that year started five. He hasn't started a ton, but he started 11 games last year. He was good in pass coverage, according to um, uh, Pro Football Focus, although Ben Baldwin told us we should not really rely on back seven stats. But okay, just, just still learning that. But I've heard some good things about Morrow, and, and I do think it, it makes a lot of sense that there would be some interest there from the Del Rio Rivera side of things. So I think you could sign a guy like Morrow on the relative cheap, or, you know, instead of spending big money that you would have on these top guys and then plan on getting you uh, a linebacker in the first or second round. And again, what's the point of free agency? Did Rivera say sign somebody in, in free agency. So you don't have to panic about um, the draft and getting a guy like Morrow, I think would do just that. Um, you'd have Morrow, you'd have Holcomb, presumably you would have John Bostic as well. Um, maybe you re-sign Kevin Pierre-Lewis, but then you can still, in in the draft, uh, go get one of these guys. So I, I kind of like that idea. Nick Morrow in free agency, playing on drafting a linebacker in the first or second round. Uh, cornerback. So, okay, so at this point, I've only spent, what, what kind of money have I really been spending here? I, if I'm saying you get that tight end, that's some good, that's some good money. Um, Okun is, is good money, but it's not, you know, breaking the bank, but it would count towards, you know, this year and all that. Um, so you could give Ronald Darby a multi-year deal. Now, I, I, you know, Washington, I've been told, does want to keep him, but other teams are definitely interested. I would just say, um, you know, I've, I've heard from multiple sources that, that Denver is taking a look at Darby, and, and I've heard some other teams as well. Um, 
but we'll see. I, I think Washington would like to keep him, but you have to wonder kind of where is the price going to be? How much are agents going to be willing to, um, you know, sign multi-year deals off the $182 million, $182.5 million salary cap? We'll see. So I, I think maybe Darby could stay either on a one-year deal for good money or in this scenario, they, like I said, we've only been we've only really spent on one player. So I could see maybe on that in that case, Darby getting a multi-year deal. Um, boy, I don't know. I've seen nine million dollars a year. I, that seems like a lot to me. I mean, it, maybe maybe I'm wrong. Uh, he's good, but you know, he does he's had the injury history. He did play all the all the games last year. I don't know. Uh, but I, I could see Darby staying. Now it's worth noting. I also reported today that Danny Johnson, um, you know, former undrafted free agent who made the team. Been on the team three years. This is their kick returner last year. They are not picking up his tender as an RFA, but also like the Foster thing, they are open to him returning for sure. So that's a possibility for depth. But Darby's a free agent. Moreau's a free agent. Danny Johnson's a free agent. At a minimum, they're going to need to add some depth. But I'll, I'll just go Darby here. I don't know if it's a one-year or a multi-year deal, but just for argument's sake, I'll say I'm sort of torn on this one. But I, I'll go with that just because I haven't spent the money elsewhere. Um, lastly, safety, uh, a couple of safeties were, were tagged, uh, in free before free agency. So that the group is whittled a bit. Here's what I think. And again, this is to the Rivera's point of making sure you have enough so you can wait for the draft. Um, they've got Landon Collins. He's coming off the injury. Again, I would be, they're not going to, they're not going to let him go, but I, you know, I wouldn't think, um, at least not. Anytime soon. So Landon Collins, you got Cam Curl, obviously. You still have the Shazer Everett, right? He can you can bring him back. And you also have Jeremy Reeves, who wasn't bad last year. Now, if you told me that's their four safeties, I wouldn't say, wow, that's amazing. But I wouldn't say that's a bad group. But if you went with that group, you can wait. And on day two, I do like some safeties. You've got uh Javon Holland from Oregon, Richie Grant, a guy like you from uh, University of Central Florida. And uh, Andre Sisco from Syracuse, who I think had a chance, if you look at what Dane Brugler was writing a year ago, I think he had a chance to be maybe even a first-round pick, but he suffered a lower leg injury during the year, missed a bunch of time. Now it looks like he's going to go round two, round three. I, I just think there's some guys there as well. So I think they maybe have enough at safety to say we can wait and don't have to panic um, rather than go and sign somebody. Um, again, Everything I just said, there's a hundred scenarios that you could you could go down. Um, they could sign a tackle for for good money, or maybe a linebacker, and then it alters everything else. But I just think this was seemed like a fun plan. I enjoyed thinking about it. So I hope you guys didn't uh, don't think less of me for coming up with these ideas. Now, um, hopefully you'll think good of the podcast because of what's about to come. Jay Gruden, former head coach of the Washington Redskins, is back. We're going to talk about free agency and some other fun things here on the Standard Room Only podcast. All right, um, not everybody likes movie sequels. I personally like like them for the most part, and I definitely like podcast sequels. And there was no doubt we had to have this guy back for another episode because he killed it the first time. People loved it. He is none other than Jay Gruden. Sir, I appreciate the time, man. Uh, for agencies about to start, we have to dive into to those things. But first off, most importantly, how is uh, how's life? How is the golf game doing? Golf game is fine. I just got back from the Dominican Republic, played the teeth of the dog about 12 times and uh, had a great time. Um, not getting much better, but I'm having fun playing. <laughs> I mean, I, I know you, you know, you said last time you, you know, you, you know, you want to, would like to be uh, 
back in coaching and 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 uh, you know do do some more things in the media. But that said, the the, the the life of leisure that you seem to have at the moment, I think we're all envious uh, to say to say the least. What what's the uh, what's the J group? Since we're going to do evaluations of free of players and free agency and all that, what's your what's the scouting report on the J Gruden golf game? What are the strengths and weaknesses? Uh, I have no strengths. I have no weaknesses other than three foot putts. I can't make them. I missed about five yesterday. Uh, but I just like playing. I like competing with the guys I'm playing with, having fun and getting out there in the sunshine. Uh, the weather's been great here. I'm up here in the area right now. I'll probably head back down to Florida soon, but, uh, any chance you get outside, um, kill about four hours is no better way to do it. In my opinion. <laughs> gotcha. Oh, you're up here in, uh, in, in the DC area. I am. Oh well, look at that. We could have, we, we could have. I was gonna say we could have done this in person, but of course it's still COVID time. So I guess, I guess that really, uh, it would. I gotta be... stay away six feet. <laughs> Plus, <Are> like, you... <laughs> it's hard to podcast with a mask on, so that would be more complicated. Yeah, you gotta be careful now. Everybody's sensitive now. <laughs> All right, um, you know, we, we got to, uh, we we got to work up. We you know, we're we're getting close to back to getting back to normalcy. Um, all right, so there's, I, I don't know how much normalcy there is when it comes to NFL for agency. It's certainly not normal this year because of the, the unusual cir circumstances with the pandemic. There's no free agent visits, all kinds of stuff. Uh, we'll get into some of those things and we'll talk to Jay about some of the players that could possibly be targeted for Washington or just other guys around the league. He's obviously coached some, coached against, scouted many. So we'll get into all that. But, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm curious. One thing that was great about the last time that we talked was was the behind the scenes information that you were kind of giving us the, the you know painting the picture for us of how certain things work and obviously free agency is really fascinating we're all sitting here on the outside going what's going to happen what are they talking about what are the strategies and you've you've done this so um I, I guess just to sort of start you've been a head coach you've been a coordinator what at what point so we're right now it's it, we're talking Thursday morning free agency the, the, the legal tampering period what a weird term starts Monday how how early in advance do you as the head coach start really getting into free agency the season one way or the other would have been over a couple of months but at what point are you looking into this during the season or not until two weeks before free agency when do you kind of start getting in well during the season I don't mess with it at all there's enough to worry about during the season and not to mention that he spent some time looking at a guy and he gets tagged or he gets re-signed and uh, so it's kind of pointless in my opinion. Coaches have enough to do during the season. We don't have time to look ahead. We're, we, we have to focus on the week uh, that we're uh, fighting to try to win a game. Uh, but once the season's over and the coaches take a couple weeks off after the grind of a season, uh, as soon as we get back, we get the list of free agents by position. Uh, coordinators got to do the, their, their, their side of the ball. Uh, special team guys got to look at their special teamers. Uh, and key guys that might help them in, uh, you know, linebackers that can run, corners that can run, receivers, what have you. And obviously the position coaches will get a list of about five, six, sometimes 10, sometimes 12 guys that they got to start evaluating. And that's the number one priority uh, is to look at the free agency. One, you got to look at the guys that you have on your team because you always want to take care of the guys on your team that you've coached and you've helped build. You know, you've drafted these guys. They've been in your system for four years and you try to keep as many guys you can that have been with you. Obviously that's not possible all the time, but that's the goal. And then, uh, from there, you try to visualize and try to guess who's going to leave and then how you're going to replace them uh, with who and by what position and, and go from there. And then how much money you have, obviously, is very key. Coaches really don't get into the uh, uh, the dollar amounts. That's more of the uh, the GM. That's more of the president. That's more of the Eric Schaefer when I was there. Uh, he was great at that. Um, we mainly just try to grade the players who we'd ideally like to have. Obviously, can't get them all, but uh, we just try to give the good grades and go from there. 
you mentioned having the Eric Schaefer type person there in charge of the money. It, I mean, I don't mean this in like the, the in the exact in this exact way, but it, it kind of feels like a kid goes into the toy store. You're looking at all the toys. Oh, I want this. I want that. And then the parents can like, well, actually, now we that way that's a little too expensive. Or well, what about this? And that, it, does it feel ever like that? Like you're the oh yeah oh for sure. You know, there's 31 <laughs> other teams grading the same guys that have the same high hopes for getting all these free agents. Yeah, I want this quarterback. I want this running back. I want this. We're like uh, that guy in Caddyshack. You'll have nothing to like it. You know, uh, so it, it, it's a it's a grind, uh, but it's a it's a process that you have to do because if you can walk away with free agency and address some key positions, uh, that'll help your football team. Then you go into the draft, you have a good idea of where you want to target uh, draft positions. Obviously, you always want to take the best player, but there will come a point in time where you're going to have to take uh, a position of need. And that becomes very critical uh, when you address the free agents. So like when you mentioned sort of scouting reports, I know like when we've talked before about some draft stuff and like, um, you know, for example, like Cole Holcomb was a guy in the draft. We're not getting into the draft today, but like you studied, you saw his tape and I presume somebody, one of the scouts said, hey, look at this guy or look at some of the, some of these players. And he was a guy that kind of, that kind of jumped out. Uh, is that kind of how it essentially works then where, you know, like like Washington, maybe quarterbacks too extreme, but like Washington needs linebackers, for example. They give you, hey, here's ten linebackers to look at, study these, uh, study these guys, and then you give your notes and kind of go from there. Exactly right. You know, so the linebacker coach will give his grades, the coordinator will give his grades. Obviously, the head coach, if he's involved in it, uh, I was involved in it. I would give my grade. We talk about it, and then we find out about the money. A special team guy becomes a big part of it. Now, if it's a starting linebacker, you don't have to worry so much about special teams. But if you're looking at a, a core uh, backup that can help on special teams, he'll become a critical part in evaluation as well. So uh, there, there's a lot of evaluations, um, but you have to listen to them. And obviously, then the trainer has to get involved because injuries play a big part of it. And then you have to hear about the personal conduct and all that good stuff uh, off the field. Um, it's hard right now. You can't visit with these guys, so you have to rely on uh, Google probably a little bit more than you want to, uh, but uh, you know it's a process. You got to try to find as much information, get as many grades as you can, and then make a good uh, evaluation and try to target the guys that you want. So you have all these people having all these different, bringing all this different information to the table: the head coach, the assistants, training staff, the salary cap. Who I, I guess in my head I'm picturing a general manager maybe is the one sort of spearheading the whole thing and sort of being in charge of. Keeping yeah, if you have a general way. manager, yeah, if you have a general manager, he, he's the one. He's taking all the information, and, and uh, at the end of the day, uh, uh, you know, he'll he'll make the decisions. You know, I think with us, you know, we had Scott McLuhan for a couple of years, and obviously Bruce was a big part of it. Um, so that's the way we went, and uh, you know, it was it was a pretty smooth process for the most part. You know, you're never going to have everybody on the same page. You know, some guys will like a guy, some guys won't like a guy, some guys will love a guy, some guys will say, ah, he's not good enough for that money, and. Uh, but the, the dialogue is important and you got to have difference of opinions. You can't just everybody, you can't, you can't have a staff of head nodders. You know, I can't stand head nodders. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. I agree. I agree. I like guys that go out there, study the tape, make their own uh, evaluation, have their own opinions uh, and are strong about it. And uh, those, those evaluators are always the best ones in my opinion. And, and I love difference of opinions. Then we put on the tape and figure out why uh, we have a difference of opinion. And then hopefully we come up to a conclusion based on, uh, what we see on tape and what we know about the person. Uh, yeah, no head nodders. Got it. Who, who was not, who was not a head nodder, like on your staff? Like who was somebody that you had no problem expressing an opinion when it came to somebody? Me, I was always, I always played devil's advocate. Even if I liked the guy, somebody liked him, I say, nah, he ain't good enough. Why, you know, 
uh, <laughs> no, but I think uh, I think all everybody I had on staff over the years, I think did a pretty good job of evaluation. We had some that were better than others, in my opinion. Um, but for the most part, I like the fact that they put the work in, uh, and, and that's the most important thing. I, I just want to make sure that they actually watch the guy. You know what I mean? Don't just look at the internet and say, ah, he's got a good grade from so-and-so on uh, ESPN. I, I like him, you know, put the work in, study him, uh, and, and then come up with your, your opinion. Now, obviously, when you're evaluating these guys, there's only so many hours in the day, and there's lots of players. So you have to be as efficient as you possibly can. So just to pick any position, let's just whatever, you pick whatever you want, quarterback, linebacker, or whatever. What, for you, when you pulled on the tape, are you trying to see the most? Because you can't, like I said, watch every snap, I presume, or everything. What, do you, what, what for you, so just to say quarterback, what, for you, are you really trying to look at? Or what are the top two or three things you're really trying to focus on? Well, quarterbacks, you got, in my opinion, you got to watch the entire, you got to watch everything. Everything they got on tape, you got to try to watch it. You just have to watch it. You have to take the time. It's an important position. Obviously, the most important position in sports. So you're going to spend more time on a quarterback than any other position on the, on the, on the board, in my opinion. I mean, you got to watch him uh, and just keep watching. Watch his footwork. Watch his fundamentals. Watch his delivery. Watch his accuracy, uh, his timing, uh, his ability to take hits in the pocket, his ability to escape his ability to make plays in the red zone, his ability on third down, crunch time situations, uh, all that plays a huge role in your evaluating of a quarterback. And you're still not going to be 100% right all the time. You know, some guys have more uh, stuff on tape than others. Obviously, you're looking at guys like Dak Prescott who just signed. I mean, he's got a lot of tape. Obviously, uh, there's a lot of quarterbacks that are free uh, that you love to try to get your hands on. Uh, might be a little bit older. There's some young guys with some huge upside you have to try to tap into. Uh, but for the most part, quarterbacks, you're going to spend way, way more time than any other position. Um, what, so what about, say, like a, like a linebacker? I just keep being a team linebacker because I think that's a position where Washington is probably going to have to address this offseason one way or the other. So, like, when you're looking at that position, what are you trying to uh, establish when you're looking at, at that? And how much more complicated is it, say, a position like that where it isn't, you know, quarterback is all the positions are dependent, but that one, you know, you're feeding off the line. You, you know, the, you know, you can't always maybe tell what responsibility somebody has. How do you kind of evaluate that situation? Yeah, it depends on the linebacker. You know, the thing about linebacker is there's different types of linebackers. There's your Mike linebacker. There's your uh, outside linebackers in the three, four defense. There's your Sam linebackers. You're off the ball linebacker. You know, there's different types of linebackers you want. You need to have a third down cover linebacker. You know what I mean? You cover tight ends and cover backs out of the backfield. Uh, you might have, a, you might need a run stop in linebacker, a tough, more physical type linebacker. So there's different type of linebackers you have to address and target. Obviously, you love to have one that's uh, got all the traits that can handle everything. Uh, problem is there's not a lot of them in the world and the ones that are have those usually stick with their teams for a very long time uh, so uh, so it depends on the target um, and you have to try to find traits that fit your scheme uh, which are critical very critical you have to figure out what kind of defense you're running what you need uh, are you lacking in pass coverage are you lacking in run defense uh, that all plays a part in how you're going to evaluate the linebacker who you're going to target in my opinion um all right, so, so let's get back to the um, the idea of like free agency is about to start. So now it's a it's a Thursday morning, free agency is on a Monday. At this point, I mean, I know it's all very fluid. You might even think to some degree, we, we think we have a, a shot to get player X, but who knows? So uh, things can, can change. But at this point, what what's your sense of what's about to happen? Do you have any idea how you things are going to unfold for you? Or is it like you feel pretty good, at least on some, on some, maybe some of the top targets, how things are going to unfold? I think with this tampering period, it makes it very hard on teams. You know, I think really it's, uh, you know, these agents have all 
all the all the ball the balls in their court without a doubt um they can take offers they can lie they can do whatever they want just to try to up the ante for the price of their players so it's very difficult to get a gauge on how much so-called player costs really is the agent full of crap does he really have 12 teams after him is it just two is it just one is it just us you never really know the tampering period you try to get a gauge for how much a guy's going to cost uh whether or not you're in and running or not um some agents will say this guy's getting an offer of 12 million a year for three years and, and you're like that's way too much so you kind of take him off the board and you move on uh but you never really quite know but you try to get yourself into running uh, that you're interested in these guys. And then when it's actually time to give the offer, then you try to fire and, and try to get them. But, uh, you know, that's where Eric Schaefer, I thought, did a great job. And he had a really good feeling with these. He had a good record, uh, good, good feel for the agents, uh, how much, uh, you know, it would cost. Try to give us a ballpark figure. It was never totally accurate, but uh, he did a great job of letting us understand uh, where we stood financially with these guys and what it would take to get them, uh, which has a domino effect on every other position and who you're going to get. Uh, throughout free agency. I mean, you, you mentioned uh, Eric Schaefer and talking to people. I, I feel like maybe I'm wrong, maybe, but maybe this is where I'm thinking or my brain is like, I feel like an underrated part or under discussed or part of all this free agency. And particularly in this year, when, like you said, you can't be around everybody the way you would be normally. You can't bring guys in for visits, things like that is the network of people that an individual has around them to trust, to go to and say, Hey, I'm interested in this player. You coached him at this place. Tell me about this guy. Or in the case of Schaefer, he's, he's talked to these agents before. Look, don't bullshit me. What's what's going on here with this guy? You know, we have your other client. We're going to work together in the, in the future. Where are we at? If you don't have those relationships going into this, I would imagine it's a hard, it's a hard going to be a harder deal than it would be for teams that are more connected in, in that sort of network kind of way. Yeah, it is important. You try to talk to as many people as you can, but really who's going to give you the, the right information. If I'm the coach of the Redskins and somebody's calling me on a free agent that I want, I'm going to say, uh, you know, I, I may not be quite as truthful. <laughs> I want to keep my guy, you know what I mean? Uh, but for the most part, I think a lot of the work's been done, you know, throughout the college process, a lot of these guys don't change, you know, some of them will change for the better. Some of them will change for the worse a little bit, but uh, for the most part, these guys are who they are. You know, some guys are great guys coming out of college and I promise you they're still great guys and you want to go after them. Um, the most important thing, I think, is what happens to the wear and tear on their body throughout the years that they played. You know, they played four or five years now. Some of them played more. And uh, how many times have they missed games? What injuries have they had? Uh, that's the biggest part because durability in this league is so critical. We, we obviously went through so many years uh, with so many injuries that the last thing you want to do is go out and get a free agent for a lot of money that's missed a ton of games and a ton of time that has injury history and injury risk. So you're trying to get Healthy guys, great guys, obviously productive guys, uh, easier said than done. You're going to have to take a chance with some guys that maybe had some injury history. Uh, but uh, for the most part, uh, that plays a big part in how much you're going to spend on a guy, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, for, for, for sure. We're, we're talking here with Jay Gruden uh, as we're getting into free agency around the league, kind of getting an inside view of, of what kind of goes on. Um, we, we, you mentioned, we mentioned this legal tampering period. So again, what a weird term, legal tampering. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, I don't know why we just don't necessarily just say start for agency on Monday instead of this window, but like, I don't know. And like you said, for teams, it's not really maybe perhaps helpful because the agents are now have this little window where they can, uh, be a little more open yeah. I guess, about, about what's going on, but hundred percent, hundred percent of favors the player and the agent, hundred percent. So that said, Monday is technically this legal tampering period. 
but come on, what, what, when is the actual, like by this point, would a head coach realistically already know, Hey, we think we can get that guy that they already know what the parameter is for this agent. I mean, obviously the agents, a, 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 an agent who represents wide receiver, free agent wide receiver X may already have a player on the team you're, you're, you're coaching. So you could instantly, you know, somebody could instantly call and say, Hey, just checking in. How are things going with so-and-so by the way, what's going on over here? Like, I mean, how much is the legal tampering thing, even that sort of silly that it's kind of happening in advance? Yeah, I think it, it is silly. I think a lot of deals will be done uh, today. I think I, I, I actually believe that they won't be announced obviously, but uh, with the legal tampering period, the way it is, deals get done. Um, you know, let's take Ryan Kerrigan, for instance, just as an example. He's a free agent. Let's say the Tennessee Titans really want him. They offer a huge deal, uh, but we want your commitment right now. Ryan talks to the agent. Yes, I'll commit. Boom, he's done. He's off the market, even though it's not officially free agency time. So a lot of the solid top free agents, they're going to get their deals done today or tomorrow, in my opinion. Uh, and then, you know, the, the rest of the guys will just take as many offers as they can. And when it opens up, then they'll continue its highest bidder. It's, you know, it's, it's like an auction. Uh, going once, once, twice old to the Houston Texans. You know, that's, so it's, uh, it's a tough period for uh, teams, uh, beneficial for players. If you're one of the top, top, top tier free agents, uh, but it's a process that's necessary and it is, and it can really help teams out uh, go from a average team to a great team. If you attack it the right way. You recall, I, I don't know, I, I mean, it's, uh, you know, we're, 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 we're past the period. There's no, there's no repercussions anymore. Do you recall a, a situation for you guys where you kind of in advance of the situation and you kind of knew you were going to be getting player X or maybe you even or knew you were losing one of your own guys because they had already kind of struck one of these situations? Yeah, there's a lot of them. You know, obviously, Preston, we knew we were probably going to lose. James Crowder, uh, we knew we were probably going to lose. Uh, we knew we uh, were going to make a run at Landon Collins. Uh, uh, we needed a safety really bad, and Landon, uh, we we liked Landon a lot. Uh, that was a good that was a good hit for us. Um, uh, but you know, overall, I think there's guys that uh, really, when you're a coach, free agency, you're not quite as involved because of the money issue. You know what I mean? We're not really privy to the salary cap. Uh, that's more of above uh, what we are uh, meant to do. We're more of the X's and O's type guys. Obviously, we have a, uh, try to try to give our evaluations, uh, but for the most part. When it comes to money um, and how to structure contracts, long-term contracts, guaranteed money, that's that's uh, that's not our cup of tea, and we don't mess with that at all. Um, but we do try to target the guys that we want. Uh, when everybody's on board with the guy, um, that's easy. Uh, but still, uh, it's up to the financial people to get the deal done, and that's easier said than done. Uh, we've had some good hits. We've had some hits that uh, were strikeouts, uh, but that's every team in the NFL has had the same situation. It's it's not a it's not a guaranteed process, no matter how much evaluating you do, because the money becomes a factor. And then when you pay somebody a lot of money, you're going to lose a couple other guys that you might have wanted to target. Uh, and you're like, dang, I wish we would have got those guys instead of that guy. Or I wish I would have got those three guys instead of that one guy. You know, those are the those are the conversations you have to have. And if you lose that one guy, there's no guarantee to get those three guys that you want. So uh, it's a tough process. It's a uh, it's, it's it really takes a lot of time, a lot of effort with a lot of people. Uh, but it's not foolproof, and there's no way you're going to get your own way all the time. Um, that that give and take aspect. Do you recall a situation before, whether it was with Washington or maybe one, one of your other stops, where 
it was kind of this or that, and you were kind of hoping for this, and it went the other way. That or or, or maybe some way some way you pushed for something. You're like, hey, no, screw this. <laughs> How do we get that guy? And and it kind of worked out. Either one of either either scenario like that. Uh, not really. You know, I think there are some players we signed that I probably would have rather not have signed and, and vice versa. But, uh, you know, I'm not going to go into names. I don't want to get into Twitter wars and all that stuff. But, uh, uh, you know, you're never, ever, unless you make all the calls yourself as a head coach and have total total um, um, ownership on the team, uh, you're not ever going to be totally happy. You know what I mean? You're always going to want something else or wish something else. The most important thing is once the decisions are made, you get on board and you're positive and you coach the players that you have. And that's what you try to do as a head coach. Uh, you respect the fact that guys are making decisions to try to help you win. And uh, even those decisions may not be, uh, uh, you may not agree with them, but uh, at the end of the day, the, they are uh, Washington football team players and you have to coach them. And uh, that's kind of the approach that I took. Give the information, give my opinion on guys that I want, guys that I may not want. But at the end of the day, once you get them, those are your guys and you have to accept them and, and work with them and try to make them the best players they can be. Um, I won't make you name any names, but how weird is that? Like you're as the head coach in theory, you are in charge of the whole situation on the field with the roster, those types of things. And yet in this circumstance, I mean, the, the, the famous Bill Parcells line of, uh, you know, if you're going to be, you know, whatever, be, be, be the chef, you also want to buy the ingredients at that, that type of deal. Is it, is it like, I know in life in general, we all want to have this feeling of control, even if it's just our mundane day-to-day -day stuff. And on this big thing to not completely have it. And I get it. Like on the certain money aspects, you need the, 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 the guys like an Eric Schaefer to deal with all that detail. I can't even balance my own checkbook. So I can't even imagine <laughs> dealing with contracts, but, yeah. is it, but, but what that, that, that is, there, is there a feeling of like, lack of control that's a that's frustrating when you're like oh man i wish i so wish i could do more on this thing when and yet other people are sort of having or having more say than maybe ideally you would like there is if you take the time to evaluate all the guys you know there's certain head coaches that probably don't take any time to watch any film they let their guys do their jobs and that's not bad i mean if you really trust the guys that are uh, pulling the pulling the strings and, and making these decisions, then that's fine. You know, if you're a guy that uh, wants to be involved and really study the tape, that's going to take a lot of time. You know, it takes a lot. As soon as the season's over, you better get yourself in the film room and study all these guys and make sure you're doing the right thing if you're going to do that. Um, so it just depends on, on where you are as a head coach and what type of influence you want to have on these guys and how much time you want to spend on it. I personally like to watch all the tape and study all these guys so I knew what I was getting. If I got a guy I didn't really want, I want to know what his weaknesses were so I can address them and, and make sure we tried to get the best out of them if I, uh, and, and vice versa. So uh, just a matter of what type of head coach you are, what type of uh, impact you want to have on your team, how much time you want to spend, uh, because it is time consuming. I mean, you're looking at offensive guards, there's probably about 30 free agents. So you're going to really watch every free agent and take the time to really give a good, solid, sound opinion on that guy uh, based on the tape that you watch, or are you just going to let your guys do the work for you? and count on them doing their job. And there are good people at their jobs that do a great job of evaluating that you can trust and, and, uh, and, and count on their evaluations to be accurate. Um, we'll, we'll get to guards in a minute because it's sort of a prominent position in these parts these days. But you mentioned Landon Collins. I'm curious about, about that. So obviously Landon Collins, before he got to Washington, has you know, had a really good career with the Giants. Um, you know, it was, it was a, a you know, big time player coming out of college at Alabama. 
at the time of the signing, I don't think so much people were, be, were questioning the player, but there was some talk of the box safety term, that, that, that that's how some people were, were labeling him, whether that's fair or not. I'm curious what you think of that. Um, and from that, some people thought, well, this feels like a bit of an overpay, perhaps, for what he is. Now, since he's been here, obviously, he's he's got the Achilles injury now. Hopefully, he recovers nicely for that. But, you know, he's been kind of an uneven player, I guess, to say. I mean, you weren't here, obviously, for most of his, his time, um, as it turned out. But, you know, um, what was your thought going into that? Why did you if it sounds like you liked him, why did you like him? What what made you think that he was somebody, not just a sign, but you guys obviously gave him a pretty big deal. Why did you think that was a good fit for what you guys were trying to do? Well, uh, we had a uh, problem stopping the run from time to time. And uh, we played against Landon Collins, obviously, with the Giants. And we thought he was one of the best run-stopping states. Him and Malcolm Jenkins were the two best run-stopping safeties uh, that we went against. Um, both of them were box safeties, sure. Uh, but I thought Landon went outside and covered Jordan Reed from time to time and did a good job, really. I thought he could go out there, and I thought he played some uh, half-field stuff pretty good, some quarter stuff pretty good. I, th I think he's a good all-around safety. I really do. I still believe that. I, I, I think that was a good signing for us. I think he's an excellent safety. Uh, I think there's a shortage of good safeties in the NFL. And if you have a chance to get a good one, I think it used to be uh, I could find a safety anyway now in the NFL you need a safety to communicate uh that come up and fit the run uh that can cover and I think you can do all that I like Landon a lot um how much so this connects both with the the fit on the field but also the, the locker room fit how, how much of a challenge is that you're doing whatever homework you can do but to figure out exactly how does this player going to fit in what we're we're, we're doing and is it easier like I would imagine a rookie comes in, even a first round pick, you can kind of maybe, I mean, depending on the ego of the person or whatever, the personality, you can maybe mold the rookie. Hey, this is what we do, do this. But when you have a, a guy like, like a Landon Collins or a Josh Norman or anybody, I don't mean them specifically, but just any free agent that comes in, they've already been doing things a certain way. They're an adult effect you know, in real life. They're doing things and you have to now say to them, well, I know you did this there, but this is how we do it here. How much is that a challenge to kind of figure out uh, to, to figure that out, and even as you're going to for agency, determining we need a we need a position, but I can maybe if I go to the draft, I, I can again maybe mold somebody easier than if I go to for agency. This is the guy we're getting. This human being who does these things in a certain way. H how much is that? Yeah. Back to what you're that, well, that's our job as coaches. If you're going to go out and pay a guy a lot of money, then you better mold your defense or your offense to make sure you get him the ball, or you mold your defense where you can uh, make sure that his strengths are well. Uh, seen on tape and, and where he can benefit from uh, what you do. So that, that's our job as coaches. You know, there's certain guys that may not be a fit, you know, that you may not particularly uh, want to target. But if you go out and you're spending some money on a corner or a safety, then you better utilize them the right way. And we probably didn't do a great job of that. Uh, but for the most part, uh, when you get a player of that caliber, uh, he should be able to fit. He should be able to fit in your locker room. If you're going to spend that money, you darn well know that he's going to fit in your locker room. He's going to be able to adjust to any kind of defensive scheme you want to play, but you also have to adjust your defense possibly to fit what he does well. You know, if you get a great pass rusher, you don't want to drop him in coverage every time. You want to rush the passer. You know what I mean? You got to get him out there to rush. You know, you're not going to draft the guy to play a thirds or a flat every time. You want to make sure he's got his hand in the ground rushing the passer. Same with the safety. If he's a box safety, uh, you want them in the box. You want them playing the run. You know, if they want to drop back and throw it, you better have some corners that can hold up. Uh, but I think uh, Landon uh, was a versatile guy. He could do a lot of different things. Uh, that's why we went after him. 
Um, a, a, a guy like Josh Norman, obviously that was an interesting free agency signing to say the least. He came after the usual period because Carolina had a tag on him and they took it off and you guys were among the teams making that big push to get him. Was that, and again, don't let my uh, phrasing of anything because uh, indicate that I'm saying I know more because I don't know squat, but there was a sense that he played a certain way in Carolina. And then when he came to Washington, he was being used a different way. And that's what he would say often <laughs> to, to the world, not just for me. Is that a situation of trying to figure, how did, I guess, how does that, how did that one go in terms of the fit? Was there a disconnect there in terms of how to use it? Or was that just maybe his interpretation of what was happening? Uh, probably a combination. You know, I think uh, Josh at the time was uh, uh, a heck of a player at Carolina. He did some great things, man. He turned the ball over. He got interceptions. He forced fumbles. Uh, he was a tough physical player. Um, he covered uh, uh, extremely well. I don't think that Josh, I think if Josh says he's only a one scheme type guy, I think he's selling himself short. I think Josh can do a lot of different things, man. I think he can cover man to man. I think he can, but more on the outside. I think when you start moving him around and try to put him on the inside and all that stuff where he gets a little discombobulated, I think uh, his strength is playing uh, one side of the field, leaving him there, playing some zone, playing some man. He can do anything he wants out there. He's physical. Uh, you love him uh, playing the cover, too, because he can reroute, and then he can come up and tackle, uh, force fumbles. You like him in quarters. You like him in man-to-man at time to time. He can play three deep. So anybody who says Josh uh, is a one-trick pony, I think, is uh, uh, underestimating Josh's skill set. I think he's a heck of a corner. Uh, obviously, he didn't have the production that he had at Carolina here. Uh, that's probably our fault a little bit. Maybe it's a little bit his fault. Maybe it's a combination of defensive line. Maybe, you know, uh, you know, it takes 11 guys to be successful, and and to, to pin one guy saying that uh, he wasn't good enough is probably unfair to everybody. Uh, so uh, I like Josh. Josh is, I'm a big fan of Josh Norman. I think that uh, uh, obviously his production didn't match uh, the money that he got, but uh, I still think uh, we needed him at the time. And I think he was worth the, the price that we got it for personally. Um, and, and that's important because uh, we, we didn't have many corners at that time. Um, on the other end, there are, I'm sure there are guys that you unearthed in, you know, in free agency, uh, you know, last year here, guy like J.D. McKissick and Logan Thomas that were discussed a lot because they were under the radar signings that turned out to be pretty good. Is there anybody for you that you think back on that you think, boy, we really did a good job. We identified this guy and he became something for us? Uh, off the top of my head, I don't really, uh, I can't really recall. Uh, let me go through the positions in my head real quick. Uh, uh you know, offensive line wise, you know, uh, I don't know off the top of my head. I'll just think about that one. Um, but I'm sure there's some guys that we got that uh, probably outperformed their free agent, free agent tag. And some guys that probably underperformed what they were worth. You know, some guys we had to overpay and try to get because we were so short, especially on a defensive line. You know, we had to go out and get some defensive linemen my first couple of years that probably didn't, uh, uh, probably didn't play up to what their pay grade was but uh we needed them we needed them for depth and we needed them uh to help our football team out uh so that's going to happen also in free agency unfortunately but uh uh there's a lot of guys that really helped us in free agency but for the most part if you're trying to build your team with free agent players you you have a lot of problems you want to try to add a few free agents to really help your football team but if you're trying to get your core team and try to I need three guards. I need two linebackers. I need a safety. I need two tackles. I need a guard. You're not very good and you're not going to be very good. 
Uh, but if you could target two or three free agents, maybe a couple guys with some depth and special team value, that's where the good teams really become great, in my opinion. Um, before we get into some specific, specific players, do you recall any one free agent chase that was just wild, like, you know, from like a, from a human perspective that there's so many de de details, obviously the Josh Norman one was pretty interesting because of the way that unfolded. I mean, Deshaun Jackson was another one where it kind of happened unconventionally, but whether it was something that was happening at the start of free agency or later, just any one story that you remember that was kind of a wild, a wild ride, whether you ended up getting a player or not. Uh, not really. No, I think we lost a few. I think obviously the Kirk Cousins saga is probably the biggest free agent fiasco that we had. Right. I mean, every year he's a free agent. We got to tag him. We got to do this and we lose him to free agency. That's probably the biggest one that comes to mind. I think that was a big one. Right. Uh, so I, I think Kirk Cousins is uh, obviously uh, the history of the Kirk Cousins thing is on uh, every um, media you can find. So uh, when you tag him twice and then you lose him to free agency, uh, that's the, that's the big one. I mean, we, I know we talked about this one before and you, and you brought it and you, we, we talked about this on the last time and you've talked about it a million times in your life. I mean, do, do, do you look, I mean, I think the last time you said that when we talked in the previous podcast, that probably the bigger, I don't remember how we phrase it as a regret, if you could do something over, but you could basically said probably should have traded them. At what point do you think you kind of recognize that you needed to to, to, to do that, like how early on in the process did you think, because it's so 2015, he takes over as the starter for RG3, ends up starting the next three seasons. But at what point in there did you think, oh man, I don't think this is going to work out. We probably need to move on here. Well, I, you know, you're always hopeful to re-sign him because at the end of the day, uh, money talks. You know, I think that if you're offering him the highest amount of money, then you'll, you'll get him whether he, you know, players will change their mind really quickly. Hey, I want to get out of here. I'll give you this amount of money. Okay, I'll stay. Uh, so I think, uh, one, I think he just wanted to feel wanted. He wanted to feel like the guy. And, uh, I don't know if he ever felt like that here, but, um, we had a chance financially to possibly keep him, And uh, unfortunately we couldn't, Minnesota gave him. Um, but, uh, there was really no one point, you know, I still, I think the organization was hopeful we get him long-term. Uh, but I'd say after we tagged him the first time, um, and there was no really conversations to re-sign him. I think after the first tag, that's probably the time we probably should have dealt them. Um, but uh, still, you know, you got to do your work and you try to keep the good players in your building. And I think we did the best we could to give them big, solid, good offers. And unfortunately, he chose to go to Minnesota. Um, all right. So this will be my theory time. I'll give you two theories. You, you're, you're free to agree, laugh in my face. You tell me what's what. On the Kirk thing, my take was always basically this. First of all, I mean, you weren't here for this, but they when when they drafted him and RG3 simultaneously the same year, my thought was, boy, RG3 better be an incredibly secure human being because this guy over here isn't just going to come here and sit in the corner. Kirk Cousins was an accomplished college quarterback that some people thought could go drafted higher than he was. And, uh, you know, he, are, he arguably might be more advanced at that point of his career than RG3. That's not an upside thing. That's just where they are. And I always felt like all in for week one, again, that was before you, but the RG3 all in for week one was a, a, an indication of that, that he was basically telling people, I'm coming back so this guy doesn't even get on the field. And thus that Cousins over the course of time never got the same love that RG3 was getting, not just from the fan base, but also perhaps from ownership. And then when Cousins beats RG3 out, it never felt like from the outside that he felt the same embrace from the organization, not saying you, but just the broad organization from maybe ownership down. And that kind of led to him feeling like you're saying, like he maybe wasn't 
the guy here because ultimately he never was RG3 for all the things RG3 was. The excitement, the the the, the, the merchandise sales, whatever it was, how far, how, how accurate or how far off am I with that thinking? No, I think there's some truth to that, really. I think, uh, and RG3, his first year was really exciting. He was an exciting player and really deserved all the uh, uh, things that he got, you know, all the, the, the shirt sales and all that stuff, man. He, I mean, he was an exciting player. I mean, it took him to the playoffs and unfortunately got hurt and, uh, you know, the rest is history. But uh, um, all that aside, Kirk was still drafted by the Washington football team. So he should have some type, he should have had some type of, Hey, uh, these guys took a shot on me. Nobody else did it. There's 31 other teams that could have taken him ahead of Washington that they didn't. Uh, so he was on this football team, was given an opportunity, uh, took advantage of the opportunity when he got it, became a starter uh, and obviously became one of the highest paid quarterbacks in the NFL. Uh, so there is a lot, I think that Kirk is grateful for, for the Washington football team uh, that he learned from the Shanahan's that he learned from our, uh, coaching staff, myself and Sean McVay. I think uh, if you talk to him, he, he'll be very grateful to that extent. Uh, but at the end of the day, he chose to walk uh, for reasons that are uh, only Kirk will tell you. Uh, could have been financial, could have been uh, that he never felt like the guy, like you're saying. Uh, there's a lot of uh, could have been because of me. I don't know. Uh, but uh, I think uh, Kirk owes some gratitude to the Washington organization uh, for taking a chance on him in the fourth round. And also uh, for giving an opportunity to beat out a guy like Robert Griffin III, who uh, had a great rookie season. So, uh, you know, I think uh, he made our franchise better uh, for those couple of years uh, and also made a lot of money for himself. So it works hand in hand. All right. I, I can hear the people listening going, seriously, are we really talking about Kirk Cousins' RG3 again? Okay, that's my fault. We'll, we'll get off of that. But to bring it back into more connected time, so Washington just released Alex Smith the other day. I don't think that was a surprise, or at least it shouldn't have been to anybody for all kinds of reasons. Um, his salary cap number was just going to be too high for kind of where he was, and it was the only real way for Washington to, to add more money to the to the cap. But it always, but to go back to the beginning of this, this is my second theory. Uh, the Alex Smith arrival here, because it was, con I always viewed it like this. Look, obviously he was a really good player. That, that There's no arguing that. So acquiring him, we can debate the cost and things like that or how it went down, but like him coming here, it always felt to me was it was connected to the other thing, meaning the cousins that the organization thought, okay, or, no, or let me rephrase this. I won't say the organization, maybe one person in particular thought, we're, I'm divorcing my, I'm breaking up with my girlfriend and I'm going to be in a new relationship before they get into a new one. So before Kirk goes to free agency, we're getting ourselves a quarterback. That's why the Alex Smith trade happens in January, way before other things happen. Um, Again, not that he wasn't a good player, but it was like, we have to do this in advance of this. How, 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 how accurate does that sound? Like kind of how well, that's, accurate. that's accurate. You have to get yourself a quarterback. I mean, you can't lose a quarterback and have nothing. Uh, you know, we had obviously Colt coming off a major injury, but uh, you got to get yourself. If you have a chance to get a starting type quarterback like Alex Smith uh, with the team that we had around him, I think was a good move for us. And it was a move that was necessary. Um, and, uh, you know, if you look at what Alex did for us, the time that he started, I think, like I said, we were six and three and leading the league, uh, leading a division by a game and a half or two games. And he, uh, and then he obviously has the injury. Uh, so I think, uh, when you have an opportunity, if you, if you have a visualization where you're going to lose a quarterback, you better have a plan. And, uh, I think that's one, uh, positive that we did, I think was address that plan and, uh, get Alex and, uh, Bruce did an excellent job doing that and addressing that and getting us getting ourselves a quarterback to win games for us. You know, the type of team that we were building, I think, was 
Alex was perfect. We had a good defense. Our defensive line was young and strong. We were addressing the secondary with Landon Collins. We're trying to do better uh, in that regard, trying to get better on defense. Uh, the receiving core was getting better. Uh, obviously, Jordan Reed uh, was an excellent tight end. Chris Thompson out of the backfield. We had Peterson. We had drafted Darius Geis. Uh, the offensive line with Trent, Brandon, Morgan, Chase Brulier, I think was strong. Uh, so we had the makings of a good football team. Uh, we needed a trigger man, and Alex had the skins on the wall to, to do that. So uh, we were in a good spot, I thought, with Alex. Um, you, you mentioned Brandon by first name, Brandon Sheriff, and that was going to bring me to my next thought. And we, we were talking about these tags with Kirk Cousins and sort of the interesting, odd situation there. <laughs> it is feeling like deja vu all over again in these parts because now Brandon Sheriff is getting – he just got the second tag uh, here. It is a – Eight, he's, he, if nothing else happens, he's going to play this season, assuming he signs a tag, which I would imagine, he, I'm surprised he hasn't run to sign it already, seeing that he would, he's going to get $18.04 million if nothing else happens for this coming year, which is way more than the next guard on the market is, is getting. Um, guard is not is considered to be like all the positions on the field are important. I think if you were to rank them, I would imagine guard is not high on the list, relatively speaking, to to other ones. Brandon is obviously arguably he's one of the best at the, at the position. Some maybe argue he is the best one, but it's still a lot of money for that position. Um, I know you're not here, so you don't necessarily know all the inner workings about what happened, but what's your view of that they did give him the second tag and the idea of paying a guard $18 million and also what it means for the long term? Because if you, as you dealt with with Cousins, if he plays on the second tag, the odds of him coming back are pretty much after that year pretty much go down significantly. Yeah, I don't know about that. You know, I think Brandon, uh, uh, I think if you're going to overpay for a guard, uh, I'm going to overpay for Brandon Sheriff. He is a tough guy. He's a great person in the locker room. He works hard every day. He's had some injuries, unfortunately, uh, that have cut some seasons short. Sorry, he's had some injuries that cut some seasons short, but for the most part, uh, he, he is a top-tier guard in the National Football League. So, uh, you, you if you're building your football team, you never want to pay a guard $18 million. But if you do, you better make sure he's tough, physical, can run. He's the best screen out in space guard in pro football, not even close. Uh, so Brandon is a guy that I would definitely try to keep in-house if I could. So, again, I know you're not in the Washington situation now, but just to sort of look at it. Uh, so, you know, the, the, the tag window is there's like a two-week window. At, at the end of the season – Brandon Sheriff said all the great things you would want to hear somebody say about wanting to stay. Loves loves the coaching staff, loves his new offensive line coach, all this kind of stuff. He obviously played well. He had all, he seemed to have a lot of fun as his team had an interesting season, gets the division title, all that stuff. And uh, presumably it's felt like the, the, the you know, the, Rivera was happy with, with Sheriff as well. So they, they, they're going into these contract negotiations. I was told Washington tried to sign to a long-term deal. Doesn't. You get to this tag deadline. What what would be going through your head at this moment? Because on the one hand, like you said, keeping Brandon Sherwood is a good thing. He's the best offensive lineman they have, one of the better linemen in the league. He's a, a good for the culture guy, all these things. And if you're uncertain at quarterback, you need that. You need a good offensive line anyway, but maybe even more so when you kind of got some uncertainty at quarterback. But it felt like that the guard market, there were some other interesting players out there. And now we've already seen more guards kind of come free. Kevin Zeitler got released by... Um, but by the Giants, uh, some other guys have come free. How would you think 
you would have addressed or you would have assessed the situation of keeping him or saying, boy, I just, I don't, even if it's for Brandon, I just cannot justify this, not just for this year, but the long haul, you want to build something. How do you think you would have looked at this situation um, as it, as it unfolded at the end there? Well, I think uh, obviously if you're going to go after a high paid quarterback, then obviously you may not be able to have the luxury of signing Brandon Sheriff. But if you're going, if you're going to keep the quarterbacks in the house that they have and maybe draft the guy, then you can afford Brandon. And, uh, and, and what's your backup plan? Let's say you let Brandon Sheriff walk. Who's going to play right guard for you? The difference between Brandon Sheriff and, and a street free agent right guard or a college uh, fourth round right guard is pretty significant. You know, uh, this is a guy that can do everything. He can uh, block the inside zone, the gap schemes. He can pull. He can get out in space. Uh, he is a he is a uh, dominant factor on the offensive line because he could do so many di different things. Uh, so if you risk losing him, who are you going to replace him with? The box guy, you know, Kev, I had Kevin Zeitler at Cincinnati and I like Kevin. He's a big, strong, physical guy, but he doesn't have even close to the movement skills that Brandon Sheriff has. Uh, so, uh, but if, if you're going to go the season, let's say you go with uh, Heineke, uh, uh, whatever, uh, and you want to surround him with great players, that's, that's not a bad way to go, in my opinion. Uh, just make sure you keep the great players that you have. Brandon Sheriff is a great player in his position. You can never have too many great players. You might overpay him a little bit, but uh, I'd err on the side of keeping Brandon Sheriff, in my opinion. Um, how much do you think? So it looks like Ryan Kerrigan, decent chance, is not coming back here. They obviously have Chase Young and Montez Sweat. Ryan Kerrigan said he wants to have a chance to start. That's not going to happen here. He had a productive year last year in terms of sacks, um, but, you know, older guy, whatever it may be. Um, if you're losing a guy like that from a culture locker room perspective, do you think that factors into saying, well, we, we, we traded Trent Williams last year. We're losing Ryan Kerrigan now. We've got, we can't let everybody go out the door from this perspective. That's another reason to keep Sheriff, or is that overstating that? Because it is $18 million regardless. Yeah, I, I'm keeping Brandon Sheriff uh, just because he, he's a great player. You know, all the other all the other intangibles are great, but he's a great player, number one. Okay, let's, let's get that straight. And then the intangibles, they add up to even better player, better person. Uh, so, I know you can't go, you can't go wrong. You know, if you're an overpay guy, overpay guy like Brandon Sheriff, because you're not going to be wrong. You know, he, he's going to be a pro bowl player. He's going to be the top of his, at his position. Him and Zach Martin are the best guards in pro football. Uh, not even close. Uh, so let's go ahead and keep them. You know, as far as Kerrigan goes, uh, you do have guys that are good pass rushers in house. So you may not miss as much, you know, you'll miss obviously the, the history that he be such a great uh, player for this franchise. Uh, great person, uh, great uh, with all the things that he does off the field. You love him. You love him. You love him. You love him. Uh, but at the end of the day, if, if you lose a guy like that, you like you said, you have uh, a couple pass rushers that uh, you can uh, still still be a dominant defense without him. Uh, but you love to keep him uh, from a loyalty standpoint. But obviously, that's not always possible because Ryan wants a chance to play more snaps, deservedly so. He's still a great pass rusher. Uh, the numbers prove it. And uh, year in and year out, he's always there. He's always durable. He's going to be there. He's going to set the top. He's going to set the edge in the running game. Uh, he's going to rush the passer. Um, so he will be missed. But they do have players that are good uh, that they can replace him with. Brandon, you lose Brandon. Who's your backup guard? Uh, the drop off is considerable. Yeah, um, for for sure. Um, all right. So speaking of players, let's get into uh, some of the guys who potentially are out there. Guys, like I said, you've either coached against, coach, maybe even coached. Um, or, you know, the, at a minimum, I've seen on tape one way or the other. Um, position needs for Washington, as we all kind of know, uh, or the audience knows at least, 
quarterback, wide receiver, left tackle, linebacker, somewhere in the secondary, depending on what else they do. Um, let me start a wide receiver. Um, some of the top guys got tagged out, Robinson, Chris Godwin, so they're off the board. Kenny Galladay, though, is still available, and everybody seems to think Washington wants to spend big at receiver because last year they did try to make a play for Amari Cooper. Don't know if I completely buy that, but we'll, we'll see. Um, Juju Smith-Huster is probably, I would say, the best slot guy out there, and I think I could argue that that may be where Washington needs somebody the most, but then you also have Will Fuller, Corey Davis, a guy who was um, – Will Fuller and Corey Davis, two guys – that were in your division. Same with T.Y. Hilton, uh, Curtis Samuel with, with the Panthers, Nelson Aguilar, who was uh, with the, with your brother this year, A.J. Green, you may recall at some point from your past, <laughs> uh, and so yeah, on. Yeah. Do any of these guys, when you when I just name these guys, sort of stand out to you, and do you think to yourself, boy, I'm, I'm intrigued by this guy for, you know, for whatever the reason? Yeah, I think, uh, like you said, you like versatility at wide receiver, and, and Juju Schuster can play inside and out. He does a good job. You know, he'd be a good target for him. Uh, obviously, it depends on what they're looking for. Do they want speed? You know, Will Fuller, obviously, uh, uh, he can run. He can take the top off a of defense like no one else uh, that's out there. Aguilar, I think, came out and did a great job at, at uh, the Vegas with Vegas. Uh, he proved his versatility playing inside and outside. Did some great things on the inside. Did some good things on the outside. There's a lot of guys. It depends on what type of guy they want to target. Um, you know, is it going to be a true number one receiver that's outside like an A.J. Green? Uh, maybe it's Marvin Jones. You know, Marvin Jones has had a very productive year, years as well. Obviously, you mentioned Galladay. I mean, he's a solid receiver. He can go up and get the ball like nobody else, man. He's, he's a good football player. Um, so it just depends on what type of guy they want. Uh, there's some guys out there that are maybe a little down the road that, uh, that well, can also prove to be good depth, maybe a third or fourth receiver as well so let me let uh, me ask you this just to not sorry to cut you off so you obviously know terry mclaurin you were here and you were one of his biggest advocates right off the bat now so i don't know how much you were able to watch him last year but he clearly built on what he did so knowing what he is starting with that foundation piece what are you looking to do to add to that i look more of a possession type guy terry terry can do it all you know terry's a great player he can he can line up wherever you tell him to line up he'll get open and catch the ball and he's tough after contact and he can run he can take the top off uh obviously you don't need too many guys to take the top off i mean you got him uh i'd look more towards uh, more of a possession type guy get open in the slot uh some versatility uh which would be key i think you know i think losing jameson crowder we never really replaced jameson crowder in my opinion uh, we tried with trey quinn but unfortunately he got hurt uh, a bunch of uh, a bunch of times, so he was never really the fit for us. Uh, but there's some guys I think they would probably target as maybe a bigger uh, that can play outside as well, but can move inside. Juju Schuster would be a guy that I'm talking about. He'd be a good one. Uh, there's some guys out there that uh, really could play inside and outside. It'd be key for him. Um, Obviously, Chris Godwin, but he got tagged. He'd be perfect. Uh, you know, somebody like that. Right now, now Juju is going to cost a lot of money. He might be the second highest, uh, or he or Galladay, one of them could be the highest paid free, uh, free agent receiver. Probably would assume Galladay, but Smith Schuster would be up there. Is there a, if you're looking down the list, doesn't even have to be a high price guy. Um, and I'll actually, like personally, I don't know what how you view this. If I'm going to rank the positions based on how I'm going to spend my money, I don't really want to put a ton into receiver. Ideally, I think because it just it's it's more of a dependent position. It's further away from the ball on every single snap, even the best receivers only catching the ball six times a game. I know blocking is involved, but you know, in terms of the reason you're paying them for the most part, they're not, it's not a huge deal. So I want to pay maybe one guy and then fill in the fill in a little bit. And I know I'm going to have to pay McLaurin in the next year or so. So 
I don't know personally if I want to spend over $15 million for a guy, but maybe that's me. I don't know what you think. So if there's somebody further down the list who maybe is like a Smith Houston, but you know, type of player, but further down, is there anybody that kind of comes to mind for you there? Well, I think this guy will get paid, but they had him in Carolina. Uh, and, and Curtis Samuel is a guy that fits everything that you want. I, I think he's a, he's 25 years old. He can run. Uh, he fits into what they like to do on offense with all the jet sweeps and all the things you do, creativity, creativity on, on offense. Uh, he can line up in the backfield. Curtis Samuel would be a guy that I wouldn't be surprised they go out and try to get. You know, I, I don't know what he is like as a, as, as, as a person, uh, but I think with the skill set to go along with Terry McLaurin, I think would be a perfect fit for him, uh, really. And, and I don't know how much he's going to get, how much he's demanding, but if you're going to spend some money, a guy that can really run and play multiple positions, I think Curtis would be a good fit. Knowing what Terry is, even just from the time that you had him and uh, on the assumption that when he's up for free agency in 2023 and maybe want to lock him in before that, that he's going to, assuming he keeps going the way he's going, he's going to get paid a lot. Are you, are you looking at a free agent receiver and thinking, I can't bring somebody in who, who I'm going to have to give Terry that same amount, if not more money in a year or two? Do you view it like that at all? Or do you view, or does that not factor into I wouldn't factor that much. And I'll worry about that when the time comes. There's still a lot of football to be played before Terry hits the free agent market. So you're trying to get this, you're trying to put the best uh, guys on the field right now this year and compete for uh, division titles and obviously Super Bowls. And and uh, you worry about the salaries and all that later. You know, there'll, there'll be some animosity. Sometimes when you go out and sign a free agent, give him a lot of money and he's not as good as guys making less money on your roster. Guys feel a little slighted and they feel disrespected. Uh, but that's the business and that's what you're going to have to do. If you want to get better, uh, if you want to dress the receiver room, uh, you got to go out and target a guy. And then obviously Terry will make less money than him, but Terry will have his day in the sun. I promise you that he's going to get a lot of money when it's all said and done. Uh, and, and he's the type of guy that he just wants to win as well. He's not going to feel any, uh, any negativity whatsoever towards the player that they sign, whether they get more money than him or what. Um, you know, you said you didn't want head nodders in the room. I would not be a head nodder in this one. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, but that's just how I view it. How I view it. Um, uh, just since we're on receiver, Keelan Cole is one of your guys uh, from from Jacksonville. If uh, he's a he's a free agent, that's getting really further down the list. Anything there of note for for? Yeah, I like him? Keelan. Keelan Keelan has a lot of ability. That's for sure. He's still a young football player. He can run all day, man. In practice, he did scout. He did everything. He, he just keeps running. He just loves to play. You know, it was his first year in the slot. We had to play him in the slot because we didn't have anybody else. D.D. Westbrook got hurt early, uh, so we had to play him in the slot. He did a good job, and I think he's got a lot of upside. He's a young football player with a lot of juice, and uh, and and if you have a slot player, he can go outside, no problem, play outside. I think he's better fitted outside. Uh, he can really run. Um, and uh, he's got a good skill set, um, but uh, he's a versatile guy. He can do a lot of different things. He can return punts. He returned a punt for a touchdown for us this year. So there's a lot of good things to like about Keelan Cole. Um, let's go to the other side of the ball. Linebacker, I would say, is their number one is the number one priority this offseason, one way or the other. Uh, John Bostic, Cole Holcomb are still here. Two guys that you had. They both offer speed, but I think they need more consistency out of the position, of probably especially in pass coverage. When you look at some of the linebackers that are out there, I'm sure there's some familiar names on the list. Um, does anybody? I can I can give you some, but does anybody sort of jump out to you? If they were to spend money big in free agency, I would think receiver or linebacker are potentially two spots. So is there anybody on the high end or just somewhere down the list that kind of stands out to you? Uh, you know, like I said, 
I don't know, you know, Cole Holcomb does a good job because he can play out in space. He can cover guys. And, and uh, so he's more of a space linebacker, um, you know, and obviously Bostic's more of the run stop player. Uh, so both of them are good players, in my opinion. If you're going to go out and sign a guy to a high paid dollar, I don't know who's out there that would be worth that, really. You know, you try to take care of the guys that are in your house, in your building, uh, because they have a year with the system with Coach Del Rio, and that'll benefit them. But there are some run-plugging type linebackers that are good, and there's some guys out in space that are pretty good that are younger type guys. Uh, but it's the position, really, that I think is uh, really starting to, uh, you know, overall, I think, is a tough position to find. In the days of the Ray Lewis players, uh, there aren't many of those guys out there anymore. So a lot of these guys are more, um, you know, they're either cover guys or they're run stoppers. There's very few guys that can do both now. And like I said before, those guys that can are well taken care of. Um, uh, so it's very hard to find. Levante David, obviously, he's 31 years old, but he can cover. Uh, he's probably got the best uh, of both worlds. He can play the run. He can cover. He's staying uh, with He's staying with Tampa. You may you may have missed yeah. that in the dimension. Like I, like, I, like I said, they're going to take <laughs> care of guys that can run and hit. Uh, so that's what you're going to have to deal with. You're going to have to deal with, hey, this guy's a great run stopper, but he's not really good in space. Uh, and this guy can really cover good uh, cover, cover ground, but he's not really a good run stopper. So uh, not a lot of guys that can do both. So I think if you're trying to find a guy, there are guys that fit the mold of, hey, this is a more physical linebacker that doesn't really run that well but he can help our football team on first, second down. And here's a guy that can really play third down, cover out in space, uh, cover these teams that spread the field out and they want him uh, more so than the other guys. So it's just a matter of what type of guy that they want. So on the high end of linebackers, guys who just looking at projections, maybe cost like in the 12 to $14 million annual average value range or, or guys like Matt Milano with the Bills and Jayon Brown with the Titans and you saw this year, look guys a little bit further down the list. You got Denzel Perryman, Anthony Walker, uh, Kyle Van Noy got sprung free. Um, th this offseason, I also got Nicholas Morrow, who was with your brother in, 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 in Las Vegas, who uh, Jack Del Rio had him for a year when, when he was with the Raiders. Any of those guys, as you think about that, kind of stand out to you? Uh, you know, Milano's an interesting guy because when he coming out of Boston College, I thought he'd be a great special teamer. He could run. Uh, he could play cover. Uh, I think he's proven to be a better all-purpose linebacker than uh, a lot of people projected him to be. You know, I think uh, when you watch him on tape in college, you see the you see the athletic ability. So you say, well, worst case scenario, he'll be a third linebacker. He'll be an unbelievable special teams player. But I think he's emerged as a pretty good linebacker as well. Uh, and and all those other guys you mentioned, they have. Some skill Perriman is very good against the run, but out in space, he's, you know, probably a little bit limited, but he's a good linebacker. He's smart. Uh, he's a good football player. You know, a lot of those guys will have the same type of issues that you're talking about. Is he worth $12 million to be a first, second down guy? Is he worth $12 million to be a third down guy? So uh, that's what you have to really come to the conclusion, how he fits your scheme, how he fits Coach Del Rio's scheme. And I'm not too sure what they're looking for if they're looking for more of a nickel linebacker or may have first face, first, second down linebacker. Um, all right. And I've already kept you too long because this is what happens when I do a podcast. And also, you know, you're, 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 you've got interesting insights. So I just keep, I keep forgetting the clock. So I know I got to get you out of here soon. Let's start with the quarterbacks though. We have to get there. 
because <laughs> obviously that's kind of an important position. And at this point, it's pretty unclear what they're going to do. I don't, it doesn't even sound like Washington is clear what they're going to do. Rivera basically set the template for fans yesterday or set the tone for fans yesterday by saying, hey, be patient because there's no obvious answer out there anymore. They tried to get Stafford. That didn't happen. Um, the, the market is kind of what the market is. The guys we know to be available at this point include, um, I, I kind of break it down into two different sections. You got your upside guys who didn't work for whatever the reason, and that's why they're available. Your Jameis Winston's, your Mitch Trubisky's, um, Marcus Mariota, I'm going to guess. If you'd like to tell us if, if what's going to happen with with there, with the Raiders, feel free to tell us. Uh, I'm guessing he's run free one way or the other. Sam Darnold could be traded. Um, those are the one group where you don't know quite what you have, but maybe there's some real upside. And then you have your stable veterans who don't have the same upside, your Andy Dalton's, your Tyrod Taylor's, um, your Ryan Fitzpatrick's, not saying they can't play, but maybe they're not going to by themselves sort of take you to another level this year or, or, or beyond. Washington has Taylor Heineke signed to a contract. They just extend, uh, tendered Kyle Allen, uh, who was an exclusive rights free agent. So presumably he's going to stay. That's two. There's room for basically one more. You could wait for the draft, but you don't know what you're going to get at 19. So it kind of feels to me they're going to get a vet. What do you think when you see this situation? Are you comfortable uh, with Kyle Allen and Taylor Heineke to the point where, screw it, let's just wait for the draft. And even if it's a day two guy, go that route. Or do you see some name on this list of the, of the names I just said of vets and say, you know what, I think I can maybe fix this guy. This is the guy that I'm going to go try to get. Well, it's hard for me to say because I have not spent any time with Kyle Allen or uh, Heineke, you know, so that's a huge uh, issue. So if these guys like Allen and Heineke and they want them to compete to be the starter, if you go out and sign another one, you have a three-way competition, don't do that because I tried that with uh, Haskins, McCoy, and Keenum. It's no good. Uh, if you want to have a two-way competition and draft the guy to be a third, uh, yes, if you want to have uh, – if you're not too sure about Allen or Heineke and you want to go out and sign a guy to be the starter, then sign a guy to be the starter. But that's why the isn't the three-way, what was the issue with the three-way? I mean, obviously it was complicated. You don't have time. There's, there's the reps, you know, the offseason program's a joke. Uh, the training camps practices are short. Uh, they're not very long. You don't get the reps for three guys to compete. Heck, we didn't have preseason games last year. So how are you going to have a competition with no preseason games? I don't even know what's going to happen next year in preseason games. So how are you going to get the reps and prove who's the best player? Uh, so you're going to have to really rely on, uh, okay, we like Heineke's skill set. Uh, we like Kyle Allen. These two guys, I think we can win. We, 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 keep, we keep Brandon Sheriff. We're going to try to keep all these players intact, build around these guys, and let these guys compete for a year. We like what they can do. And then maybe – if we, uh, if it works out where neither one of them are good enough, then obviously we'll have to address it next year. Coach Revere has got a nice long-term deal. Uh, I think he'll be good. He doesn't have to win right away. Um, uh, but I think both those guys prove that they can be started in the NFL, whether or not they can take the team to the Super Bowl level, that's to be determined. Um, and that's what they have to deal with. So to go out and get a guy like Andy Dalton or uh, somebody else, just Mr. Trubisky to throw in the you're either going to make them the starter and, and Pam as such, or Jameis Winston, or you go out and draft the guy, let Heineke and Kyle Allen compete to be the starter, in my opinion. It's either or. You can't just add another guy and say, hey, okay, let's throw the ball out there and make the best man win, because it's very hard to get the proper evaluations with three guys competing for limited reps in practice. Um, 
So, like, based on these guys, do you see some? I mean, you're a guy who's who who, who knows quarterbacks. Is there somebody from this group that you think, not without knowing the, the Allen or Heineke aspect, if they did think we still need to go get a starter, is there somebody here that you think this is the way I would go? Uh, I'm I'm certainly mostly interested in the guys. Like I said, these the guys who were these top picks who just didn't, you know, they maybe have shown some 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 interesting things, but ultimately not enough, and that's why they're available. Um, is there any one of these guys that you think, yeah. man, I'd like to get my hands on them? Well, I know I know Andy Dalton quite well. Obviously, he's very smart. Uh, he's an accurate guy. He can run a football team. You know, he's got very similar uh, traits and skill set to Alex Smith, not quite as mobile as Alex, but uh, as far as leading your football team, getting in the right play, all that stuff, Andy will do that. And I think uh, Mr. Trubisky, he's 27 years old now. He's played a lot of football. He's got uh, the ability to run. I think he's still got – uh, some upside. Obviously, Jameis Winston, he's thrown for a lot of yards. He's young, man. He's got a nice arm. Uh, he's a good football player. Uh, obviously, he's turned the ball over a lot in the time that he played, but he's young. You know, I think uh, the more he plays, the better he'll get. And he's still got a lot of football left in him. So those three guys would be the top three guys that I'd, I'd talk about and have to put on all the tape, uh, talk to the agents, see what the price tag is. Uh, but if you sign one of those three guys, I think those three guys should come in and be the starter and let the other two guys, Heineke and Allen, compete for the backup. Uh, but you got to let those guys have all the reps. If you go out and sign Jameis Winston, he's a starter, period. If you go out and sign Trubisky or uh, Andy Dalton, they should be the starter uh, because that's where it starts. Uh, but if you go out and sign somebody else, um, let Heineke and, and uh, obviously Allen compete to be the starter and then go from there. Got it. Um any uh, anybody else in free agency you'd like interesting regardless of the position not necessarily for Washington just any guys out there that you think man if I was you know running a thing this is somebody that I uh that, that I, I like to cut of their jib as they say yeah Trent Williams I'd sign Trent Williams in a minute <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, mean Trent, I mean my god he's still he's still the best in the business uh, I I I can't wait to see where he ends up. When's the last time you, you guys, have you guys talked at all since uh, you left, he left? I haven't talked to him in some time, but there's some other good young pass rushers that I think are interesting. Uh, there's some, you know, there, there's some guys that maybe have underachieved a little bit, but, uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta take into account. Some of these guys are still young and with the lack of uh, OTAs last year and preseason games, Development is, is hard right now. So you're going to take your chance on some maybe uh, the, I hate to use the potential or the upside word because those words usually get coaches fired. Uh, but you're going to have to take some risks on some of these guys that are younger type players that still have some juice and have a skill set uh, that can really help your team. And I think there's a lot of guys that are 26, 25, 27 years old that still have a lot of football left in them uh, that can help football teams out for sure. Got it. Um... Do you, do you uh, at the end of the day, what, what phrases is going to start? Do you think you're going to have like, you're you going to feel like you wish you were in one of these rooms or are you kind of good uh, watching the chaos from uh, from afar this time? You know, actually, actually the, the off season is like, I love the off season. I love the evaluation process and taking the time to watch all these guys, see how things unfold and then, and then seeing how they play and see how your grades were. Golly, I was way wrong on that guy. Or, I knew that guy was going to be great. You know, that's, that's a fun part of, uh, coaching in the NFL, in my opinion, is evaluating all these guys, the draft guys, the draft eligible guys, the free agents. Uh, it's a blast. And, and the dialogue that you have, the disagreements, the arguments, uh, it, it's fun. And I do miss that part of it without a doubt. That's my one of my favorite parts about being a coach, actually. Um, 
did you remember one guy that you thought, man, I nailed that one? Like this guy, I caught. I, I got a I, lot of them, man. I nailed a lot of them. Well, give us like, one. Who, I've also I've also missed on a few. I'm not gonna lie. So. <laughs> All right, we'll get who who like who who who. who, who I don't want to name the names, man. That's bad ball if I name a guy who I thought was gonna be great and stunk. Well, how about know, the other way, who was who was somebody that you thought you just you know like like Cole Holcomb was one that always gets mentioned for you with the draft. Is there somebody in free agency? It doesn't have to be even Washington, but just at some point you just thought, boy, I really like this guy, and it turned out that he was uh, he was a good player. Uh, there's there's a few of them, yeah, but uh, you know, off the top of my head, you know, I, I think uh, well, I'll tell you one that I thought was going to be a pretty good player that the guys laughed at me about is the defensive end from uh, Hendrickson from the Saints. You know, he went to Florida Atlantic. He he was a good pass rusher in college, and they laughed at me when I said he was going to be a a fifth rounder or a fourth rounder, he ended up getting drafted in the third round. And I think he had 14 or 15 sacks. Uh, so that, that's one guy that I, I, I went on the line for saying we should try to go after, but uh, got laughed out of the building on. Uh, so he's going to get a pretty nice payday. I'm excited to see him get some money. Uh, but <laughs> that's like that. Gotcha. Oh, you know what? I forgot to ask you, and I apologize. We talked about wide receivers. This is considered to be a really good draft for receivers, so it's possible you say, screw it. I don't want to spend any free agent assets. I'll just wait. I'll get somebody in day two. And obviously, you know, you guys drafted Terry McLaurin in round three. And the last couple of years, there's been other guys like an A.J. Brown, DJ, D.K. Metcalf, who come in day two. So maybe a guy, they go that route. But you still want to get a playmaker. What do you think about the idea of they got Logan Thomas, but Hunter Henry's out there and uh, – Johnny Smith with the Titans, a guy you've seen. What do you think about adding a second tight end like that as the way to add a playmaker? Did you like that idea? Oh, yeah. I've always liked tight. You know, when we were at our best in Washington and Vernon Davis and obviously uh, Jordan Reed uh, were at the top of their game, we were tough. Our two tight end sets were, were dangerous. And we put a third tight end out there. We got we forced teams into base defense. We, we were pretty good, you know. Um, so, yes, I, I would always – Error on the side of adding another tight end, especially in free agency, because uh, the lack of tight ends in college football nowadays is is is, is glaring. Um, not a lot of teams line up with tight ends in a three point stance in the core. A lot of teams run spread offenses and RPOs. Uh, so if you get another tight end that can block and 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 can be productive in the pass game, I would for sure target a tight end in free agency without a doubt. Do you like either one of those guys in particular? I know oh, yeah. Like, both of them are excellent players. They're both great players. And, and Hunter Henry, uh, he can he's not a powerful blocker, but he obviously is a good pass receiver. And uh, he is good enough in the run game. He can line up in 11 personnel, and he can do some things if you have him. And obviously uh, the other tight end that you mentioned, uh, 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 Logan, uh, then, yeah, then I think that that would be a great one-two punch. And then you throw Terry McLaurin on the outside. He can take the top off. I mean, that, that, that is a pretty dangerous uh, – a way to attack a defense. All right, noted. Uh, we're going to keep that in mind. Uh, Jay, I definitely appreciate the time as always. Uh, I would tell people to follow you on Twitter, but you're not, you, 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 nobody can pick a Twitter fight with you because you're not actually on Twitter that, that any of us know. So um, you're, no, you're safe. I'm you're not safe on, on any of that stuff. So I do have a couple guys with fake Jay Gruden accounts. So make sure you don't follow those guys. That's not me. I might uh, come out of the woodwork and, uh, get a Twitter account soon. I don't know. I'm working with my kids on that. I've always thought that the best way for somebody like you to go would be to start a fake Jay, like at fake Jay Gruden, but it's actually you. Thus, people would not know that it's you, but it's actually you. I always think that would be a fun way to go. If you wanted to be incognito yeah, about it. 
Yeah, I'll pat, you know, I'll work on that later. Maybe get a, I might even do a, uh, what's that TikTok, man? I think I might get in a TikTok. I don't know. Who knows? Okay. Now, now, now you've peaked uh, all social media's interest. If you're getting on TikTok, that's a whole story. Are you, 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 you going to be like a lip sync guy? You got dance moves? Like what's your, uh, what's your TikTok angle? I got a little bit of everything. You know, I got uh, some golf stuff for you. I got some funny stuff. I got some dance moves. I got some uh, karaoke. I got, I got a lot of good things I can do. I'm very talented. What, what's your karaoke song? I don't sing karaoke. I'm just kidding. Oh, come on. I really thought for, I, I couldn't believe you were, but I was like, oh, that, that'd be amazing. All right. Well, either way, now we're intrigued. You need to work on this. Forget Twitter, go to TikTok and just, uh, t- and just uh, save America one, one, one uh, video at a time. Uh, Jay, I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. Hey, no worries. Thanks for having me. All right. There you have it. Jay Gruden. Definitely appreciate his time again. Uh, it took a lot. I, you know, I hope, I hope, uh, hope everybody appreciates um, his time and not a lot of former coaches would talk for as long as he does, but I really do appreciate it. Appreciate it. Obviously the insight uh, for somebody who's been in the room in, at this time of the year when teams are getting ready to go into free agency. And he's obviously again, coached against or scouted a lot of these players that we're talking about. And uh, you know, it's one person's opinion, but obviously it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting opinion to say the least. So uh, thanks to Jay. Thanks to you guys for checking out the podcast. Appreciate everybody listening to me talk in the beginning about this team. Free agency starts, uh, or the the legal tampering period (laughs) starts Monday. We'll see what happens uh, uh, as we get closer. Follow me on Twitter at Ben Standick for breaking news, I guess, should anything come. And, of course, read me on The Athletic. Back next week, already have a guest lined up. Uh, to talk about whatever moves happens that I think you guys will like. And uh, we'll just keep going here on the Standard Room Only Podcast. Until next time.